Hi, and welcome to the Legal Innovation Talks podcast, where we have discussions with legal thought leaders from around the world in order to uncover the future of the legal space. I'm your host, Stephen Pulver. We are so grateful to welcome Dina Eisenberg to the Legal Innovation Talks podcast. Dina, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much to our friend Ramesh also for connecting us. Mm. Uh, Ramesh is amazing and has been on this podcast, as I'm sure you've listened. Uh, mm-hmm. Dina, it's amazing to have you. We love starting off by letting our guests talk about themselves. Uh, don't be don't be humble. Brag away. <laughs> tell us tell us the things that that um, get you excited, what work is all about, what life is all about. Uh, and we can, we can let that guide our conversation. Cool. Life is so good right now. And that sounds odd to say in the moment when there's so much uncertainty in the world, but I think if you have the right mindset, this is a very good time for innovation, for trying new things, for pivoting in your business. So, you know, I have one of those uh, patchwork quilt backgrounds, I like to say, right? All the pieces don't necessarily look like they go together, but when you put them all together, you get something amazing. So I started my career as a lawyer. I was a prosecutor, prosecuting doctors for sexual misconduct, which nobody believes is a thing, but it is a thing, people. Um, and so from those women, I really learned about integrity and trust and standing up for yourself and confidence and i really realized that you know my talents are really aligned with helping people get what they need and clarifying their interests and goals i like to say that my purpose in life is giving people power through knowledge and so i left practicing law i became a mediator then an arbitrator and then i ended up doing something that nobody ever knows about <laughs> which is becoming a corporate ombudsman and i'll just say that word again ombudsman because people are like um um whom um, it's a word that there was always a university ombudsman ombudsman right and i yes. never had any i didn't i never knew what that was so enlighten me i still i think i have a general sense but i would love to hear what 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 uh what that work all all entails well, happy to share because you know it's my superpower helping people discover what it is that they want why they want it and what's the best plan to get it and that's essentially what an ombudsman does so i'm an external ombudsman i work with small companies and law firms with their team um, to help them build their culture and maintain it so you say you want a culture where you value honesty integrity and that you really care for each other well how does that play out in day-to-day life and when things don't go well who do you call me my son used to say to his friends when he was 10, and they'd say, like, what does your mom do? And he'd be like, um, she's a mom for grown-ups. When you get into trouble, she will help you out. <laughs> I, I think that that is what a wonderful way for a 10-year-old to also explain it because that's immediately understandable to, uh, to grown adults as well. Yeah. Uh, I love that. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So that clearly brings you so much passion. I, I can I can see it in in your mm. in your smile and and in your eyes as you as you talk about it. Um, tell me a little bit about uh, 
some other things that you're working on. Um, I'm very yeah. interested in, I know that there's, there's some events and other, other pieces. We'll, we'll get into that kind of after, mm-hmm. but love to just get the, the whole picture of the, the, the Dina experience, I suppose we could. Yeah. So from being an ombudsman, I spend a lot of time working with leaders and senior leaders. And particularly I have a, a deep affection for lawyers because I am one and small law firm owners in particular. And what I recognize about that role is it is super hard because at the same time, you're trying to run a business you're trying to lead a team and you don't have any training for that and in fact law school actually teaches you the opposite it conditions you not to care about emotions not to connect with other people to mistrust feelings and to hold yourself at a distance which doesn't really help your lawyering i'll just go on record saying and also makes you a terrible boss so you know i got into doing this work because i wanted to help lawyers stop being boss holes to really have practices that represent their values uh, and to be able to relate to their team because you are only as great as your team is. Your team is what makes you unstoppable. So you need to know how to outsource and how to delegate. And those are actually two different things. People usually conflate them, but they're different. So my role is really to work with people to figure out what they want their firm to be like or their company to be like overall then figure out who is an ideal employee for me, like who is gonna accept and share my values, join my mission and help me change the world because that's what every business really is about when we get down to it. And then how can I relate to these people so they know, like, and trust me such that they do an amazing job and I don't have to micromanage them because they're on mission, they're on point, they're as passionate as I am. And so that's really what I love helping law firm owners and small company owners do. Because sometimes when you're a leader, you don't think you have any power. Like right. you just have to do what all your employees want you to do. And I think it's, it's kind of the opposite. If you decide to have your own business and to take that risk, then you deserve to have that business run in a way that suits you so that you can actually give your best to your clients. The key though, I'm sure, is that even with said power, Mm-hmm. that even knowing you in just just a couple a couple minutes on on video i'm sure it's it's where uh one has that power but doesn't yield it in a powerful way yields mm. it in a i want my vision or our collective mm. vision to shine through in everyone's eyes how do i make sure that that actually permeates the culture or permeates the team, right? Because the I, I'm, I'm certain when you say power, you don't mean power as a, you know, um, in, in kind of a, a different type of, in more of a negative context. Yeah, this is, this yeah. is good kind of power. This is passion. This is compassion. This is drive. Um, yep. All of those, all of those great things. So I'm interested actually specifically, well, I've, I've circled a few things here. I've circled mm-hmm. boss holes because I've never heard that term. <laughs> And uh, that is a fantastic term. So uh, I will certainly give you credit for that. Um, but that is definitely much. going to enter into my, uh, into my uh, lexicon. Now, uh, let's talk specifically about small firms. So we've talked yep. a lot on this podcast, um, kind of many different types of practitioners. Uh, we've mm-hmm. talked to and talked about solos. We've talked uh, to and about large firms. The mm-hmm. small, first off, what do you define as a small law firm? Yeah, it's a moving target, isn't it? Because it really, it's the context of who else is in your pool, who's your cohort. So I have worked with firms that are as small as 10 and as large as 50. For me, that's the definition of small, you know, that you could actually talk to everybody. 
Now, when you do account of a firm like that, and I'm, mm -hmm. uh, you know, would you be working to, with, uh, with lawyers in particular, or would you also be working with, uh, whether it be clerks or uh, office or marketing, is yeah. this kind of a holistic approach? Or are you really only working with lawyers? It is a whole team approach. So you know, um, a few months ago, I worked with a client, then they are my eight. So just under the 10. And I started working with them because um, several lawyers were having problems both relating to clients, which was causing feedback to the owner, like, we're, you know, we're not really appreciating the services we're getting. And there was some conflict in the team about you know, how much work people were doing. And so it made sense to work with the leader as a coach to really her, help her solidify what she wanted the firm to be like, and then work with the two attorneys, the associates in the firm to help them learn to delegate better uh, and in manage their interactions with each other better. So coaching for all those levels, because it makes sense to talk to everybody. We have a community, so we don't want to leave anybody else out. We want to make sure that everybody is using the same language, has the same concepts. So I generally work with a whole team. Starts with one or two, but eventually we get around to everybody. Which which I think is super important, right? Because I'm sure there's there's people that are out there that are saying, you know, let's only focus on the lawyers because they're the ones yeah. that are bringing in the money. Well, or, or whatever the, you know, they're, they're doing the, they're doing the work yeah, in my yeah. mind, as it seems like from you, that's, that's obviously the wrong way to look at it. And it's also quite, uh, I think it's also not exactly a, a great cultural approach either, because you're saying, oh, look at us, the people that are billing are the ones that are, are, are need, need the help here. It's actually the entire organization. Everyone's yeah. pulling hard. Everyone's pulling together. You yeah. wouldn't be working at a place unless you'd hope you wouldn't be working at a place unless your contributions were, were going to be that meaningful. You would hope so. Right. But I talked to a lot of paralegals who say, you know, my, my efforts are rarely appreciated. No one ever tells me I'm doing a good job. Often I will get yelled at for doing the bad job or not guessing what my attorney wants, but I don't get to hear those, you know, that of girls. And that's really important. You need to be able to communicate people how much you appreciate their contribution. Cause guess what? If you don't have uh, a team supporting you, you don't really have a law firm, right? You're just trying your best not to fail every day. You need that team to support you so that you can build those hours. Uh, it's a fallacy to think that if you have a team, only the lawyers matter. That's not true. So, so let, let's uh, completely agree. Let's tease that out a little bit. So um, a paralegal, you know, you'd be talking to would, would, would make a comment like that. Would in this process, what would kind of the next step be? Would it be to check in with the lawyer? Uh, would it, obviously, I'm sure these are more generalized conversations mm -hmm. and specific conflict resolution or anything like that. But what would the obvious next step be? You hear a paralegal say, I'm just, I'm not feeling like, I'm not feeling like uh, I'm getting accepted for the type of amazing work I'm doing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. What, what would the next steps be? Working with both of them. So really teasing out from that paralegal, well, what would it look like if you were really feeling appreciated when you were in your last role where you felt like everybody got you and appreciated you what did that look like and looking for the specifics did the partner talk to you did you get some special perks did you just have a feeling like you were contributing to the whole thing to really get the picture from that person then going to the lawyer and and asking so you know when you want somebody to do a good job 
and you see them doing a job, what's your reaction? So a good example is I was working with a lawyer um, who after like nine years, her opening paralegal, this is the person who helped her start her firm, uh, quit. Like uh, Monday, I'm gone. No leading up to it. I'm just done with you. I'm tired of being a doormat. And the lawyer was totally shocked. She's like, you know, where did that come from? I think of this person as my right-hand man. We are a dynamic duo. I couldn't have grown my firm without her. I can't believe she feels this way. Well, here's how that happened. The lawyer grew up with the notion that if you do a good job, you don't need to be rewarded. The good job is reward itself. No one's going to praise you for doing what you're supposed to be doing anyway, because that's the way her parents raised her. The paralegal's parents said, hey, you absolutely must do a killer job all the time. It's that important. And don't look for anybody to like praise you all the time. You need to wait until somebody recognizes you and then praises you. So it's coming, you just keep working, someone will notice and say something. So you can see they're diametrically opposed. One thinks, I don't need to say anything because you're killing it. The other one's like, I'm waiting for you to say something, to tell me that I'm killing it so I can continue to kill it. Uh, in that case, we just had to sit down with both of them and say, let's have a facilitated conversation. And the top of the conversation is understanding your work relationship and how you can make sure you both get your needs met and then go from there. I, I love that, um, and thank you for that. You, you, you mentioned something in our, in our pre-show notes, and you said allowing your clients to feel empowered, mm. confident, I think those are the two words. Mm -hmm. Tell me, what, what is truly feeling empowered and confident as a, as a professional? What, what, what does that mean? What does that mean? I love talking words? about this topic. You know, as lawyers, we tend to think that we have to have every answer and every answer has to be right. Otherwise, we are crappy lawyers. We're not <laughs> worth anything. Right? You're laughing. So you probably no, I, 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 I understand it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, it's a feeling that we've all had. I think when you, after you've worked with me, your idea about confidence shifts a little bit because it come, goes from, I have to know every answer to, I am enough and prepared to find out the answer no matter what, right? I no matter what. Right. And when that answer, the confidence to know, the confidence to know that, that you are able to find the answer mm -hmm. and it might not even be in your brain. It might mm -mm. require you to get another professional. That's it exactly might require it. you to, to extend that, that, uh, that helpline. Yeah, the confidence um, really comes from being emotionally intelligent. So you are self-aware, you know your strengths, you know where you're less strong, where you need some help, and you don't mind getting the help because you realize that's not a reflection on your intelligence. And in fact, it says that you are wise enough and care enough about your clients to get help so you can do a better job, right? So, right. I, I, I totally hear that. I think that that if people are going to take anything away from this episode in particular, I think that that's a huge piece that confidence is not just what we know. It's mm. also being confident in the things that we don't know. Right. Yeah. And it's asking questions. It's feeling, it's feeling comfortable with your peers, both mm -hmm. in your company and also in your community. And we'll get to community in a, in a couple of minutes, Dina, because mm -hmm. I know that that's something that's very important to you, but would you say that community really actually, I mean, we can jump into it now. Let's talk mm. about the role of community in, 
in helping in helping business owners, employees, you know, people find their their voice within within whatever community it might be. Yeah, it's so important, particularly in a smaller practice, to really cultivate your community. What happens, I think, when you launch a practice, you're like, I have so many things to think about, and none of that has to do with community. You know, I need to find an office, get the doors open, find the right people. But what you really need to do when you start is decide who do we want to be, both in the marketplace towards clients, but who do we want to be to our community, our team, the people that we work with on a daily basis. And figuring that out takes a little bit of thought, takes some preparation. Otherwise you get what I call default culture. And that just means however you are (laughs) is what you transmit to the first five people on your team because those are the people you're talking to. It's inconsistent, you know, how much you value one thing or over the other because it changes depending on who you're talking to because you haven't written that down. And so you're sort of building in inconsistencies, misunderstandings, opportunities for conflict. Conversely, if you actually spend the time to sit down and think about what do I want my community to be to each other? I want us to be kind. I want us to be generous. I want us to have integrity. I want us to care about our clients and each other. Those are the things that my clients want. Folks who find me want those things in their law practice. And then it becomes, you know, thinking about, well, how do we make that real? So how do we live generosity every day? Right? What do we have to do to show others that we are of generous nature? And who do we have to be to be able to give without looking for something in return, right? That takes a little bit of effort up front to figure that out. But on the back end, the benefits are so huge. Do you think that people are getting through this pandemic by virtue of just paycheck? Not happening. People are getting through the pandemic because they built a strong community of trust and like and integrity and somebody is really saying i will stick with you till the end no matter what it takes you know i've heard lots of firms where people are making the extra move they're doing the extra steps not because they're getting paid anymore because they're not they're probably on a freeze but because they believe in the mission of the firm and the leader and their colleagues and they don't want to let those people down they don't want to let their community down so when people say i don't want to spend any money on culture or i don't want to spend any money on grooming my team i i feel bad for them because it's kind of short-sighted means you're missing the best part of having a team i think that those are such such good words i think uh, another piece to add to that is that community might be five people Community mm-hmm. might be 500, it might be 5,000. Mm-hmm. Community can also be one. And mm. I've said this to people before that whether it's a spouse, whether it's a, whether it's a, uh, a colleague in a different industry, not even remotely related to what you are, people have to start thinking of community as way beyond just the mm. occupation or the thing that they do. Yep. And so much learning is going to happen in those cross-pollinations between these fantastic people just across different areas. And of course, I mean, you want to speak to like-minded people sometimes, especially, uh, you know, work like-minded people in some cases. Mm -hmm. But what I'm hearing from you is that um, the more, the more we can work to have people believe in the mission, believe Mm -hmm. in themselves helping Mm -hmm. other people to believe in themselves. 
mm-hmm. um, the, the better off we're going to be, you know, I have a, we have a very good friend, you know, uh, his name's Chris Cummins and he talks a lot about, uh, he talks about sometimes you don't need to make, uh, sometimes you don't need to change a hundred people's lives. Mm. You just need to change one, one. person's one. one perspective, one change yep. and trust that trust that the ends will line up eventually. And you have uh, to, have, I think this is going back to your, point, that. your point on confidence, right? That, I like, love that. You need to be confident that the work you're putting in, mm-hmm. even though there might not be a, I mean, this podcast is probably a testament to that, right? There's, there's not a, there's not a dollar amount that, that yep. this doing this type of work is, is worth. It's, it's to have spectacular conversations like this and let mm. others learn, I hope from conversations like this. Um, so any, any, any things on there that, that, that come up of interest? Probably yeah, a lot. Cause I'm really just thinking about that idea about, you know, community and extending the reach. So I jokingly tell my clients that when I'm working with them, what I'm actually doing is um, world domination. And it's true because every time I change a law firm owner's perspective on how they have to relate to their team, that impacts how that team and the owner relates to clients. That makes their client service so much richer and better And that person's life changes for the better because that's what lawyers do ultimately. We use our creativity and our energy and our knowledge and education to change lives for the better. So every time I help a law firm owner have a better law firm and a tighter community so they serve their clients better, I'm changing the world. So I'm changing the world to what I want it to be by coaching these people to interact with their people in a certain way. So you should always think that you have the ability to change the world because you do. You just have to change one life. That's you have to change, not even a life. You need to change a moment, Mm. right? Like you need to, you, Mm. and you, you get this amazing perspective, right? Because you get to, um, um, I'm assuming almost like in some cases flown into a problem and then fly out of the problem. It's 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 like a surgeon, right? (laughs) And in that moment, like you don't even have to focus on changing a life. You need to just yeah. focus on fix the moment right, right that yeah. way, and 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 good, creative, confident people, and 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 the lessons you're teaching. You know, over time, those things are gonna these lessons compound. Yeah. Because I, I I'm certain that five years, three years ago, I know I wasn't having conversations like this or yep. to, to this, and and I know other people in my community are now now it just there's the winds of change have just kind mm-hmm. of blown through these parts, and especially during the pandemic, I think you've made a great point of of needing to rely mm. on community and others, mm-hmm. and and this is I think is a perfect segue then into our into the final component. I want to talk about delegation. Yes, my favorite, favorite, so we, favorite topic. So we have we have uh, this amazing team. Maybe yep. we don't have an amazing team. Maybe it's just a team that's getting started. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about delegation. What delegation means to you of teams of all sizes? Mm-hmm. Let's stick perhaps to your small. I know that small law firms in particular is, is an yeah. area of interest, but I'll let you lead the way. Talk, talk to me about delegation. And then of course uh, uh, you, we should ch- yeah. chat about some of the things that you're doing uh, event cool. and, and all those things. 
I'd love to. So first, I just want to um, set the table for this, which is delegation and outsourcing are two different things. Outsourcing simply means you're asking somebody else to help you achieve a goal. So if you've ever been to a restaurant, you outsourced, right? Because somebody else cooked that meal for you. And I use that simple um, example because people are like, oh, I couldn't possibly outsource. That's what big companies do. I'm like, you're already doing it. You just don't realize how to do it in your professional life, right? You so just had it for dinner. You just you just ate outsourcing. Yeah, you, you just right? did it. Yeah. just did it. So that's outsourcing is asking in general for help to achieve a goal. Delegation is the very next step where you prepare that person, your talent, your teammate. I usually say talent when it's an external virtual assistant or a freelancer. And I say team when it's somebody who's within your law firm or small firm community, right? That's how you're telling them, this is what I need you to do to complete the task. This is how I need you to do it. Here's the strategy behind doing it. Here's what I don't want you to do in conjunction with this task. And here's what it looks like when it's complete and it's a good job. You notice how many components there are in that, right? So it's not just handing over something and dashing, saying, do this thing and I'm out. It takes a little bit of time. You need to do some pre-work uh, to get ready to have a great delegation experience. So that's actually a good place to start. Uh, two places, like what do you pick to delegate and then how do you get started? So what do you pick to delegate? That's a place where people get stuck. It's like, I don't know what to take off my plate and I don't want to take off anything you know, too big because I get scared. Uh, here, so here's the thing you can do, a quick exercise. Fold a piece of paper in four quarters, write daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly on the paper, and then spend 30 to 40 seconds for each quarter writing down everything you do daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly. What you're going to find out is that you are jammed in the daily and weekly. Too many tasks to do. That means that you can either do one of two things. You can move some of those tasks back so that a weekly task becomes a monthly task or a monthly becomes a quarterly, easing your workflow. Or you can decide to delegate some of that. And usually what you should be delegating are things that are low risk but necessary because you're still learning in the beginning how to manage this delegation project, how to give feedback, how to set expectations. So you don't want something that's so big that you feel like you're going to have a big loss if it's a fail. You want something low risk, but something necessary so that when you get it back and it's done, you're like, brush my shoulders off. That was an excellent experience. Going to be doing that again, right? So that's how you think about picking projects to delegate, things that you need, but don't necessarily need you to be doing them. Because right. as a leader, you know, your time is really pretty precious and so is your energy. So the goal is always to be protecting your energy and protecting your time. So delegate things that don't need to have you. Um, and, you know, I know we're going to talk about this later, but I'm going to give a free uh, talk on September 8th about, you know, the three things I think people should be delegating right now. So folks who are interested in that can um, get the link later and we'll link, we'll link to it in the, in the show notes for sure. Cool. So that what to delegate and then how to prepare. Like you, one, have to know what a good job looks like. I can't tell you how many times people have been like, uh, this sucks. It, they didn't do it. And when I go back to the talent and, or the teammate and say, so what did they tell you to do? They're like, they didn't really give me any idea. They just say, get this done. And I tried my best to figure it out. That does not work. 
You need to know, you know why you want this work done because it helps you stay motivated, how you want it to be done, what are specific steps. And the way to do that is to write that down by creating a project legend. Because once you put it to paper, you'll immediately see where you've missed places, the things that you should add, and you will be creating a de facto operations manual so that you only have to do it once. Now you have this document that the next time you want your team member to do it, you just hand them the document and they read it. Now here's a place where people make a mistake that I wanna talk about. Oftentimes when you uh, give someone a task, what's the last thing you say to them, Stephen? Uh, come back to me if you have any questions. Uh, and what's the other thing? And, uh, I don't know, maybe timelines or deadlines or, yeah. or, yep, all that. Or, and do you understand? Like, do you understand? Do you understand? Right. Right. That is the worst question. Because <laughs> do you understand assumes that they do and they can articulate that. There's no proof. So instead right. of asking someone, do you understand when you send them out with a project to delegate, you say instead, can you tell me the next three things you're going to do? in regards to this project. Then they get to demonstrate to you their understanding. They say, I'm gonna do A, B, and C. And if it's right, you're like, good to go. I wanna be engaged, but not involved. So keep me you know, updated, but you know, I don't really need to be involved because you got this. Or you're gonna be like, no, B is wrong. Here's what it should be instead, right? Right, I love that. And I've written them down. I've written two things down there in the span of 10 seconds. One is, what are the next three things mm -hmm. and engaged, not involved. I have to ask you about that. What is, okay. what is engaged, not involved? What does that mean? Well, it means stay in your doggone lane. <laughs> well, that's what that means. Because sometimes when we think we want to delegate, but we're too anxious about ourselves, we don't trust ourselves that we've given the task to the right person, or we don't trust that we've given them the right instructions to get the output that we want, we micromanage, right? We're like, did you get that done? How'd that go? Can I help you? Let me just take that back. I'll, I'll get it done quickly. So that's really overly involved. What you want to be is engaged, like you know the project is happening, you set the person up for success, you're available for questions, but you already provide them with a place or repository where they can get most of those questions answered in the legend. So you're there, but you're not really that involved. You're sort of on the periphery saying, I'm here if you need me, but you really don't. I think it's a, a wonderful way to put it. I'll tell you something that's very interesting, Dina. This is the first podcast where I believe we haven't even talked about technology and <laughs> I think not I think I know that these types of conversations are critical to have mm. prior to I mean I'm sure we could sit here I know you've talked about Zapier we've, we've talked about so many yep. different tools yeah um well, you know but what? I'll just talk about the, the two outsourcing tools. So if you want technology, sure, in it, absolutely. Let's add them. Absolutely. please, we should add them. Add them. So if you're feeling like, hey, I want to delegate, but I, I'm a little, I need some platform, uh, two platforms that I recommend. One for general work is Upwork. Uh, I've been on that platform for 10 years, and it is filled with small business owners, just like you and me, who are using the excess capacity to increase their revenue. And I've gotten amazing work 
from people on Upwork, all kinds of from research to video editing to design, all kinds of things. And the key about that platform is that you have to drive it. You can't just you absolutely what a good piece. Of, like you cannot just sit back. You have yeah. to draw. Yes. Don't you assume anything. Don't over, don't over assume anything. You need to be in the you know before when you said what are the next three things you're going to work on. I think nothing could be more true than when you're when you're working with some some uh, individuals on Upwork. Completely agree with mm -hmm. that suggestion. I love I, I you know yeah. over the years we've used Upwork for so many different things. I, I mean, it's a great tool, and people are afraid because they're like, "I'm going to get scammed." And like, you have a lot of control on that tool. And one of the ways to control costs is not to do things hourly, only to use project bases, uh, and use milestones when you're paying. So you're only paying once you have a completed portion that you're satisfied with. So that's how you control things on Upwork. The other platform that I'm recommending that people talk to about is um, contract attorneys. So right now, estate planning attorneys and family law attorneys, booming, right? It's a big time for them. You don't wanna be turning away that business. Uh, you, what you wanna do is add to your team so that you can embrace it. And so one way to do that is with a contract attorney, um, Gosh, they just had a, a brain fart. Kristen Tyler uh, founded Law Clerk Legal, which is okay. a platform where you can connect with uh, contract attorneys. And what I like about that is it's not blind. You get to see their reading exam, their, uh, their writing samples. You get to talk to them and interview them. Um, and you can do a test project to make sure they're going to be writing or doing whatever in the style that you want. But that's an online tool that lets you expand your capacity as a lawyer that we just didn't have like five years ago, right? Well, it seems interesting because, uh, you know, going back to where we talked about, you know, the small law firm owners, I think you'd mentioned whether the sweet spot was 10 to 50 lawyers. Imagine, mm -hmm. imagine um, what you can do with some of these tools, whether it be Upwork on your marketing, admin, research, yeah. you know, all non-lawyer, you know, no one's suggesting, I, I don't think you're suggesting that, that legal work on Upwork is a good idea, but I think yeah, everything ancillary, not, no. <laughs> every, I think every ancillary thing to your, to your practice, sure. And then yeah. on, the, on the outsourced um, or, or working with, with a contract lawyer or contract paraprofessional, allows you to turn your 10 person team into a hundred person team. If, if you needed that many people for something. Um, right. And these are things that I think are, are critical to talk about because I, I really do believe that there's some practitioners out there that, that are feeling stuck and that, mm. wow, I can't pay. I can't mm -hmm. pay someone a hundred thousand dollars a year or whatever it might be to on my books to, to come in and join me. I don't even have, I have enough work for six weeks. I don't have enough <laughs> work for six months. Yeah. Uh, these are yeah. not traps that are, these are not existential traps. These are things that uh, I think this community can understand is out there. What's interesting about both of those technologies you've, you've mentioned uh, is really they fundamentally do come down to the same conversation around mm -hmm. people trusting mm -hmm. your team, the people mm -hmm. you're hiring on Upwork or on contract uh, lawyers, they're, they're all going to be effectively, I know you've said talent is for external, your, mm -hmm. your team is for internal. Mm -hmm. uh, but this is such a fantastic, uh, in many ways, low risk way for people to try things out. Yes. You have a research project that you just you yes. want to get you want to earn the revenue for, but you don't have the patience in the world at the level of, of practice you're at to learn something in another area of law. Go on and find another mm -hmm. go find someone to work with. You mm -hmm. might be delighted by by 
the process and say, wow, I can get into wills and estates when it wasn't even an area I had any intention of, of, of getting into. And I think that's what you're getting to with, with your points. Yeah. Yeah, that you can, you know, this is a great time because people are having to pivot, having to work virtually. So this is a great time to think about expanding your practice area. Like what else could I be doing that's, you know, related to what I'm doing now that's going to help me help my clients a little bit better and generate a little bit more revenue for me. Uh, amazing. So, so Dina, before we conclude here, uh, I'd love to do another shameless plug for you. Let's uh, or have you do the shameless plug. Your event is September 8th. It's online, correct? It is correct. So for those who want to stay in touch with me and learn a little bit more about delegation or, or about using ombud services, uh, one, I invite you to come to uh, the September 8th call, which is the top three thing, three chores you need to delegate right now during COVID. That's September 8th. And the URL for that is outsourceeasier.com forward slash delegate hyphen right hyphen now and, we'll and that's from that 12 to anyways. one est uh, i'm always open to connecting with people on linkedin i keep a pretty robust presence there i post every day and on tuesdays i post what now which are how to's about how to deal with management issues uh, and then for folks who want to take it a step further and think about working with me they're more than welcome to book a free call uh, consult with me, which is bitly.com forward slash Dina free consult. I love talking about practices. We'll figure out if we're a good fit uh, and I'll help you however I can. If we're not a good fit, I'll send you on to somebody else who is. Uh, it's wonderful. And I, I, I couldn't let you finish there without saying uh, I was struck by the way that you just said three chores. What are three chores that you can delegate? I yeah. think I, that those were the words you used, right? Chores. Yeah. And I think that what, what a fantastic word to use when you're talking about delegation, there are, are, do these feel like chores? Do you feel like you're, whether it's cleaning a kitchen or cleaning the bathroom or <laughs> folding the clothes or whatever, whatever our household chores are, think about that from your work perspective. Yeah. Are these things that other people can help with? Are these things that technology can help with? Are mm. these things that Dina can help out with? Um, Dina, it's so wonderful to have you on the podcast. Uh, we're going to try to do this in six months again, oh, if, you're, if you're into it, uh, we're going to see where people are at, how they've, uh, pivoted, how they work through, uh, you know, in six month periods. And we'll get to listen back and, and, and also talk about where, where we're at in just a couple months. So will you, will you come back and join us in a couple months? Steven, thank you so much. I would love to come back. This has been a great conversation. We got to talk about delegation in ways that I, I don't normally get to talk about it. And so of course I'd love to come back. Okay. Amazing. Everyone, this has been another episode of the Legal Innovation Talks podcast. Thank you so much to our guest, Dina Eisenberg, for joining us. We'll have all kinds of good things in the show notes. Otherwise, we'll hear from you next week. 